the problem with me was that I had severe stage fright and also couldn't sing very well at all. I sounded like a strangled cat and just generally wasn't good at it. I was also a terribly wooden actor. And so those two things, I was like, I really want to do them. And I don't know if it was out of defiance that I kept, I spent all of my money in university on singing lessons and worked three jobs so I could pay for these like crazy singing lessons to try and learn how to not be terrible uh, and put myself on stage week after week and like shook for hours before and shook for hours after and, and just tortured myself. I don't know why. Um, but something in me was like, you want to do this. Welcome to Off Key, a member on Labs podcast about music professionals for non-music professionals. I'm your host, Linda Arnold. Join me, an industry novice, in conversations with members of Canada's music industry to learn more about their roles and how they first got started in the music business. Today I, today I love you. The sight of couples in the street looking out, dreaming big. And today on Off Key, I'm chatting with Christina Lau, a multidisciplinary artist who also works with the Nimbus School of Recording and Media on business and community development, is a Music BC board member, and the founder of the music collective Indie Van City. Christina is such a wonderful storyteller, and she shared her experience of having lived in cities all around the world, transitioning from studying international business to pursuing a career in the arts, and the importance of putting aside ego for continual learning. If you enjoy our conversation, please subscribe to Off Key on your favorite podcast listening platform and leave us a rating and review. It really does help us to reach new listeners. Anyways, let's get right into my conversation with Christina Lau. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So don't set sail for me. I uh, I was born in Hong Kong. I'm a Hong Konger, um, and uh, I moved around quite a lot with my family. Uh, so Hong Kong, I've lived in more than anywhere else in the world. And then I lived um, for a number of years in Australia and New Zealand and the UK. And I've been in Canada for about four years here in Vancouver. That's a lot of moving around. That's a lot of moving around. And the interesting thing is they were always kind of at least five-year blocks. So um, it was, uh, you uh, you can imagine kind of uh, from zero to 10, I was in Hong Kong. And then I moved um, at very core stages in my life, um, kind of teenage, pre-teenage, and then early adulthood. Um, and so there was a lot of opportunity to reinvent um, along the way. But going back to your question, um, I was first introduced to music um, with about five CDs that my dad had. My parents did not listen to a lot of music. I'm not from a musical family. I asked um, my mother for uh, a piano when I was a kid and I, I got an organ <laughs> instead. A little one of those like clunky two or three, yeah, two tiered organs with, with a pedal. Um, but they are actually naturally quite musically talented. They just haven't pursued it. Uh, and my dad's picked up guitar. Uh, he picked up guitar at the age of 60 and now has more guitars than me. 
and my mother has dabbled in um, in playing piano because we finally did get a piano, uh, and so it came with us to uh, with them to Vancouver. Um, so they're the type of people that will always pick up something new and and learn, and that's inspiring in and of itself. So. My first introduction to music was really through asking for a piano and not getting it um, because I was listening to and watching Disney and I just wanted to memorize all of the words and the songs. So Aladdin was a perfect example because I memorized, I think, the entire script and my favorite character who I wanted to be more than anything else, of course, was the genie. So I uh, memorized all of genie songs and then we had, um, back in the day, we had laser discs in Hong Kong. And we used to have karaoke nights on laser disc. And, uh, and I, I used to love singing my heart out, but it was never considered a career, especially in Hong Kong. So it was just a fun thing until, uh, you know, life happened and I decided to change uh, the course of, of, of my profession. What did your parents do? Sorry, like how come you were um, moving around so much? Well, my dad is ex-Special Forces. Okay, whoa. Um, And uh, yeah, terrifying. Um, (laughs) But uh, he's a good man. Um, And my mother was a paralegal uh, when they met. And then she gave that up to raise her three three, um, uh, children who, who are probably worth all of the stress in the world compared to a normal job. Um... So they met on a Chinese writing course when my dad was was living in Hong Kong. Uh, and my mum had moved there from Toronto, actually. Uh, so, yeah, that's what, they, that's what they did. And now my dad um, is a professor. He got his doctorate, um, oh gosh, maybe about five or six years ago. And uh, he teaches at Kwantlen Polytechnic. Oh, in Vancouver. In Vancouver, yeah. He teaches business and he was an HR director for a multinational um, company uh, for over 20 years um, in Hong Kong after he left the forces. So, and yeah, and both of them just, like I said, both of them study constantly. My mother's never stopped learning. She's currently jewelry making, I think is the thing she's doing right now. And uh, they're constantly reading, constantly learning. Yeah. They're just, they're, they're life students. That's so nice. Mm-hmm. That's such a nice thing to be able to do. I feel, are they both, um, well, your dad is teaching now, but are they kind of like semi-retired-ish or are I, they still I, doing I think, things? Uh, they're still doing things. I mean, I was very lucky as a kid um, and growing up, I just have seen my parents constantly evolve. Like I've seen them constantly wanting to learn and constantly um, challenging uh, where we want to be and why we want to be there and what kind of life we want to have. And I think I took that for granted a lot because I see so many people who, uh, I don't know if it's too early in the podcast to go this deep, but people who have grown up in one city and they don't have any ambition to leave the city um, because they don't know any different. And that's not a, a lot of people. And there's also nothing wrong with that. Um, at all but it just it I didn't realize that there were people who weren't constantly learning in those ways and so I took I kind of took it for granted that I was because it it, it's a kind of double-edged sword because on one side I'm constantly wanting to learn and grow and evolve and on the other side I'm constantly restless (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know you 
consider one of those cities home above a different above others or I would consider two actually Hong Kong I was born in Hong Kong and I say I was born and reborn in Hong Kong because Hong Kong um, is home because it smells like home it sounds like home when you're a kid and you have all of your core memories from a certain place I think that kind of really especially because my family are from um, on my mother's side the southern part of China most of those people ended up being in Hong Kong so it's very much a part of my blood and who I am. So I found Hong Kong home, but I also, it also really welcomed me when I decided to leave the business world and my business degree that I studied first and went back to Hong Kong to, to, to try um, to study music and make it as an artist, which is not a somewhere that you would think about going to, to relaunch your career in music <laughs> of all things. But it really gave me, um, so many opportunities that led to where I am today. I wouldn't be where I am if it hadn't been so welcoming and um, so supportive. The people I met in Hong Kong were so supportive. So Hong Kong, and then I would say London. When I first moved to England, I was 21. And to this day, my mother's never stepped foot in England. She's never been there. Um, I remember landing and feeling like this was a place that had something to do with me. And I can't explain it in very good words, but it, it felt like there was a history that I was connected to. And I don't know if you've ever been to a place, I don't know if anyone listening has ever been to a place that they're, they know they have ancestors from. And sometimes you just, you arrive and you kind of feel like you, a part of you was there. And I, I really felt like that when I landed in England and, and London was... Uh, quit very quickly became a really big part of me so yeah those two are more home than anywhere that's funny you say that about London because I haven't spent like extended extended time there um but it was always a city that I was interested in and then when I was 18 I went there and spent a month and I felt the exact same thing interesting do you have family who are who are British um, my grand, not that I'm connected to, like my grand, that I know personally, I mean, like my grandfather's, um, on my dad's side, his family was from England. Um, oh, so he yeah. went back quite a lot because he had cousins there and things. Um, so, I mean, I, I didn't visit any of my extended family when I was there. Like I, they're so, you know, it's like second cousins of like my grandpa. Sure. So it's yeah. It's just like, they're all like, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. And it was always a city, uh, that I knew I wanted to visit and I was like, oh yeah, like I'll move some there someday but um it was again like I hadn't been at this point and it was just I was like I should probably go check it out before I do anything crazy um but yeah same thing and I find when I talk to people people either feel that way or they don't really like it yes like I loved it I felt so much I mean there's obviously so much going on and I I don't know like I'm like a person I like to spend a lot of time by myself so I think I really appreciated the anonymity of the city and that because oh, there's so yeah. much stuff going on you can really do your own thing and it's it's fine it's like so good yeah I, I agree I think um when you go there you can you can be uh, pe- there are people who feel very lonely when they go to London because it's filled with people but if you don't know anyone you can feel very alone in a crowd and then there are people like I guess both you and me um, I like to go and, and discover. I want to go and, and, and like elbow my way into a new thing. 
And when you have something that you know that you love, whether it's fashion or um, arts, culture, sport, you can very easily find people, friends, and, and a, and a sub-community in a city that vast and that dense. Um, and it's so rich with those little subcultures, but you've got to elbow your way in there. You can't just wait for something to happen to you. It's not like a little village where, you know, there's 18 people and you're going to have to meet everybody at some point because you're buying food from one of them. And, you, you know, I did live actually when I first moved in to, uh, when I first moved to England, I lived in a village in West Sussex. And that was when I first got the feeling actually. But it wasn't until I was like in London proper that I was like, yeah, this is, this is home on another level. Mm. Um, but yes, compared to a village, a village, you know, you buy your groceries from that person and you, and, and you get to know people incidentally. In London, you have to make an effort. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what a lot of people who've grown up in one place through no fault of their own don't know how to do. And for me as a transnational kid, all I know is how to elbow my way into conversations. Because yeah, I'm, I'm always the outsider, right? I'm always that weird girl with the weird accent that nobody can quite place. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's difficult to place. Mm-hmm. And, it, and my face matches that. So it's even more confusing. So people are like, but where are you actually from? Oh my God, where that's you... the worst. They have the worst question <laughs> in the world story of my just, life. Where are you? I from? mean, <laughs> yeah. But, but actually, and you kind of like, I don't, I want to help you understand, but... I also don't have all the time in the world Um, because I have uh, my mother's Chinese, but she's Chinese Nepalese and my father is British Polish. So the, the, the four of those very strong (laughs) cultures combined, um, uh, combined with my moving around so much just makes me, um, I don't know, nebulous. Is that the right word? (laughs) I mean, it sounds sounds about right. Yeah, person of the world, probably. Um, nebulous is in the form of a cloud or haze. Hazy, okay. indistinct, in, indefinite, unclear, vague, hazy, cloudy, fuzzy, misty, lacking definition. <laughs> so there you go, nebulous. There's the new new way to describe ourselves, one? you and me. Okay. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> Maybe we'll do like twenty three and me tests or something, and then see. <laughs> Yeah, I know. That's how I'm going to start answering. I'm nebulous. I'm nebulous. Yeah. Who are you? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you started off in business school, you said, and Mm -hmm. then eventually transitioned into music or you said you moved back to Hong Kong to pursue music. Um, What was kind of the moment that you decided like the quote unquote, I mean, everything is business. So this is like not exactly yeah. the right thing to say, but at what point were you like the quote unquote business world in this academic stream, I guess, isn't for me. I want to pursue the arts. And uh, stuff. Well, you know, it, that's a good, very good question because I had, I had always wanted, I think I'd wanted to be uh, in the creative field. I wanted to be a musician um, and then an actor from the age of, uh, from teenage years, really, because I was a competitive sports player before that, and I didn't know any difference, so that was what I assumed I was going to do for the rest of my life, was play sports professionally. And uh, then when I decided I didn't want to do that, it was kind of at national level, when regional to national level, um, where I just went, I don't want to be someone who doesn't know anything but tennis, doesn't know anything but swimming. Um, 
when I made that change, I kind of went, well, what do I want to do? And then I realized, oh, well, I love singing. There's something about singing that, you know, for me, it's like a, it's like a soul massage. And if you think about it, when you hum, like when you see people that do like yoga humming and you hear people singing, my very odd theory, which may or may not be true, is that, you know, we're made up of like 80% water, right? So we, when we sing, it's like a massage going through us because there's all these vibrations going through the 90%, 80%, sorry, 80% of water that we are, right? So it feels good to sing and it feels good to hum. If you don't hum, you should hum every day um, for a little bit. You'll probably feel better. Um, the problem with me was that I had severe stage fright and also couldn't sing very well at all. I sounded like a strangled cat and just generally wasn't good at it. Um, I was also a terribly wooden actor. Um, and so those two things, I was like, I really want to do them. And I don't know if it was out of defiance that I kept, I spent all of my money in university um, on singing lessons uh, and worked three jobs so I could pay for these like crazy singing lessons to try and learn how to not be terrible uh, and put myself on stage at week after week and like shook for hours before and shook for hours after and, and just tortured myself. I don't know why. Um, but something in me was like, you want to do this. Uh, but I didn't have the heart to audition for, uh, for a performing arts school. I just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't see me possibly being good enough to do that. So I thought, what can I do? I'll do a, a, a degree in music business. And then I went to a course that was terrible. Uh, and so I left after a term, traveled to the States and took a kind of gap year. And then I came back and uh, went and studied Asian studies and international trade and then transferred into an international business degree. Finished that degree all the while still thinking to myself, well, if I've got my degree and I've got my backup plan, then I can, you know, address the actual thing that I want to do with my life. Um, and I graduated at 21. So um, I'd finished high school early and started university early. So I, I graduated um, well, and then, and then went, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And, uh, I ended up doing a work placement, running a business, running a, a cattery of all things, which is like a cat hotel. Um, oh, wait, where was this? This was in England. By this point I'm in England. Okay. Um, You're working and, in a cattery in England. And I, and I'd taken over a family business and was like, and I joined the, the most incredible wedding band, like covers band with a bunch of people from this village um, who were the kindest and to this day are the kindest, most wonderful human beings that literally taught me how to do most of the things that I do on stage and broke me out of my stage fright. Um, so this is a long winded answer to your question, but it kind of takes, it, it goes all over the world to, to answer it. <laughs> um, I, I went and auditioned for them and then I fell in love with, and they, and because, uh, they were all, 20 years older than me and were just in the kind of like village band. They were doctors and stockbrokers. Their prescription for my stage fright was gin. And so they were just like, you've got a good voice, but you're scared <laughs> as, as hell. So we're just going to get you drinking an English amount of, of drinks, which is not a, a small amount of drinking. Um, and we're going to have fun. And from that moment, I kind of went, you know what, 
I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm going to defeat that stage fright and then I'm going to take the next step. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'll take that next step and the next step and the next step. And so then um, I went to see a, a show called Anything Goes, which is a famous musical um, in Brighton, which was the, one of the nearest um, cities to where I was living. And I fell in love with musicals and I went, this is, this is like the Olympics of, of singing. So if I can do musical theater, I won. I don't know how, I don't know who I was competing against at this point. Um, so I did. And I went and joined an amateur theater company. And that's then when things changed into me going towards a more professional career and kind of, I guess then to answer your question, the business, the business side of things and pursuing that in a very um, focused way just started to dissolve because instead of me going, uh, cutting it off and reevaluating, I just went for the things that I loved and let the things that weren't as important drop away. That's really amazing. And it's also very, it's not nice. Nice is the wrong word here, but <laughs> you can sing now. I've listened to your music. I've like watched like live covers. I'm like I know you can sing. Um, so it's very nice to know that someone who mm-hmm. quote unquote couldn't sing before yeah. that you've learned. Oh yeah, it's think, a muscle. It's a muscle yeah. like anything else. And people people tell you that it's. They say that it's not, and you think that it's not. Um, and I, and I really, really wanted to prove people wrong when, uh, I, I got some of the worst feedback. Like I really was genuinely told never to do it, <laughs> but you know, people say things for, for different reasons. Right. And, and there was a part of me that didn't, that didn't know why I really wanted to do it. I don't, I still don't know what my purpose is in a lot of ways, but I knew that I needed to. I knew that there was something, there was some lesson to learn. And there always is whenever you get that little feeling and you're like, oh, but I, I feel like I should do this. And someone goes, yeah, but here are all the reasons why you shouldn't. And if you feel still that you should be doing it, that you're going to win something out of going and doing it, even if it's not what you think it's going to be. I could have still been a terrible singer. I might actually now be a terrible singer and I wouldn't know because I'm busy just doing it. That's for other people to judge me. 100%. And like, I don't know, like, as long as you're not hurting anyone. I mean, as I mean, I'm so overly offended by your voice, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's hope that I don't have that quality where someone is so offended by my voice that I'm like, maybe I should reevaluate. <laughs> I'm hurting people now. Yeah. But then, I mean, it's, you know, it's your own life. And I think it's important to kind of listen to your gut. Um Mm-hmm. especially when you're younger and like you can take those risks because like the worst thing that could have happened in your case would have been like you lose money on the lessons and like you lose time but when you're young that's you know this bigger this bigger fish to fry I well think. see I'm gonna challenge that and say it, it's not really about your age because I picked up guitar one of your one of the you know the questions you ask a lot of people is whether they play an instrument or like whether they did when they were growing up I picked up guitar at 24. My dad yeah. picked up guitar at 60. Um, I think that it's just society telling us that when you're young is when your brain is the most malleable. And actually, I think that's just a fallacy. I don't believe, I don't want to subscribe to that. I don't, I, I would love, if I turn around and 
and come back on this podcast in two years and say, I'm a politician now, or I'm a human rights lawyer, or I'm, I'm a garbage collector. Like if it doesn't, I can change my career path at any point in my life. And I think everybody can. Because when I went to, I, I then, after all of that, I went back to Hong Kong and blagged my way. I don't know if you use that word here. I like blagged my way into university okay, um, yeah. <laughs> to, to study music. Um, and I was meant to have grade eight theory, minimum grade five. Um, and I didn't have any of that. I didn't have, I didn't have anything that they needed. And they were like, you're starting really late. This is weird. And I was like, just, I can do it. If I can do a degree in something that I really, really didn't like, I'll be fine. And let's be honest, I wasn't fine. <laughs> I cried every other day because it was such advanced theory, but I I put myself through that and I did it. And then I got into the theater school that I got into in London. It's the first person from Hong Kong to be accepted into the London School of Musical Theater. Way later than, than most people would go for something totally different. It's just about how willing you are to put yourself in a comfort zone and how willing you are to check your ego at the door before you try those things. And I'm still doing it now. I'm getting into film and television and I'm in the room with people who are way bigger fish than me. And I'm, I constantly have that question where I go, am I doing this too late? Have I taken this on too late? Cause I'm trained in theater and not in film. Um, and you just got to put those things away and say at any point in your life, it's not too late. A hundred percent. Yeah. Checking your ego at the door, I think is definitely a really good lesson. Mm-hmm. I feel like too, it's like, not just like society saying like your brain is so malleable when you're young but it's all this pressure of like you need to decide when you're young it's like oh you know like when you're like four or five years old like I know this was the case for me anyways you do like your parents either put you maybe and they put you in everything but it's like you get a sport you do dance you do piano probably and like (laughs) gymnastics I know for like a lot of like young girls it's like you start with piano you do ballet you do gymnastics you probably go to like you maybe stick with one of them you maybe drop all three Um, but then, yeah, it's like when you get older, it's like, oh, I didn't do that. Like, it's too late now. Yeah, we think that it's, and and because it's easy for us to think that it's easy. I remember having so many conversations with people over the years where they've looked at me and said, you know, I wish I could do what you're doing, but it's just too late. And I was, and my response is, we're the same age. I just started last week. Yeah. (laughs) Like, okay, you're a week late. You can catch up. Yeah, you can put it. It's fine. But the reality is people, when I think subconsciously, a lot of those times in those conversations that I've had, it's not actually, I. it's too late for me. It's I'm now choosing other things over it. And I want the result, but I'm not willing to put the work in at this point. I agree and, that's, that. and that's fair, but then acknowledge that. And say that this is what I'm doing. I'm 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 not willing to put in the work for whatever reason. I've I've got kids. I've got um, family commitments. I've got work commitments that I you know or bills. But for whatever reason, I I can't put that work in. And then it doesn't become a weight of that shoulda coulda woulda. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then like when it's yeah that shoulda coulda woulda thing, it just becomes guilt too. Yes, and then you feel like you're less of a of a. Yeah. of a success than you than you really are when actually most people I know it's hard to get by in the world in general like and and to sort through the mess of your emotions and to 
juggle family commitments and relationships and work commitments and career paths. It's so, it's not easy to, and that's the lucky ones of us who are, have got roofs over our heads, you know? So just surviving is like, well done at the end of every day. Yeah, so survive and then have 32 hobbies that you're probably trying to pursue as side hustles as well. <laughs> that's Vancouver. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's, a, that's a kind of city, um, city society and, and kind of first world city mm-hmm. mentality of like, you know, the side hustle, mm-hmm. that glorious term. Everyone's <laughs> trying to out-busy each other, which is... Oh, I know, it's weird, isn't it? Like that's... Nobody knows how to be bored anymore. Mm. I'm really yeah. looking for, I, I love being bored. I'm, I, mean, I, I will say, don't know how to be, I'm bad at it. Yeah, I know, I'm terrible at it. I love being bored because it means that I've, I, I think that's when I've achieved things. Because I'm like, I, I have gotten to a point where I have ticked so many boxes in a day that I just, my brain is done. I can't do anything else. I'm just going to walk around and buy an ice cream and, and walk the streets and I do that and it happens very rarely, but I treasure those moments because we don't have enough space and, and we don't create enough empty space for new, new fun ideas to come in. We're so busy being busy that we're just, I mean, I'm saying we, actually, I mean, just me. I don't know everyone else, but I know I packed my schedule so full that I didn't have a chance to be creative. Everything was controlled or my, I thought it was, I was, uh, you know, I perceived myself as controlling it when really nothing's in my control. So to pivot a little bit, um, speaking of, yes, how busy you are. Um, so you work on a bunch of different projects, but um, as we've maybe alluded to, you also are a musician. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who's unfamiliar with your music and your sound, kind of how would you describe yourself as an artist? Um, if you can, this is always a hard question, so no pressure, but... Um, it's actually one I've been asked a lot so I'm a multidisciplinary artist um, and my music is uh, cinematic folk pop you've got your line figured out that's good I mean I had to my heroes are people like Joni Mitchell and Paul Simon and, um, and Tracy Chapman and people who really have this troubadour uh, vibe and that doesn't really fit into so many people say this my songs don't fit into a certain genre but my songs have elements of pop but they're very pop in their progressions they're very folky in their storytelling and they're very cinematic in their painting so I like to um, orchestrate with string sections and and um, and rolling percussion and kind of um, ambient uh, ambient sounds just kind of placed a little bit further in the back so I think that's the best way for me to s- describe it is is cinematic folk pop somewhat window gazing folk was one of the other ways that um I thought about describing it um like I I'd love for people to be listening to my songs on a train or in transit for some reason when you're kind of you those are those moments where you're kind of staring out a window and uh and 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 being a little bit bored and being like well I'm stuck here for however many hours or um and, uh, and if you're like me, you can't read uh, in cars. So you just have to look out the window and let things pass you by. And I think that's sometimes when um, the most pertinent thoughts come and settle in your brain. And I'd like to be a part of those thoughts. Yeah, that's so nice. And that is actually such a good, like, 
what am I trying to say? What are like the words for this? But um, it's a very specific feeling. Mm-hmm. trying to say and definitely when I've had some of my most self-indulgent moments probably have been like yeah. staring out the window in the car because I can't read either yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a pain I wish I could I'd be reading all the time in cars if I could but actually I would miss that side of life if I could mm-hmm. so it's always two sides to the, the coin really but yeah it's a fun it's a fun style it, it's been hard for me to find venues that that allow for that style like nobody's like I'm gonna go to a venue and stare out a window Mm. like nobody wants that when they're in a drinking institution um so it's been interesting kind of thinking about okay well where does this where does my sound sit you know but I've been lucky enough to supplement what I do musically um with what I do creatively in other ways so acting and uh, you know I was on a tour last year for a musical um in England and that was a that was a national tour across the UK so I've been very lucky to be able to have the freedom to not rely on the music I'm creating to make the bulk of my money you know and I haven't had to like I don't really know if I'm a festival sound as an artist or if I yeah where it's gonna go who knows Having lived in so many um, different cities that you've like now been living in as a musician how Mm -hmm. has it been kind of carving out a space for yourself in the music communities and kind of finding a new tribe, I guess, in those cities? Well, I guess we touched on that a little bit earlier, right? With the, um, when you dive into a city, you, uh, it's, it's up to you to elbow your way in. Anyone who is in any city, whenever they write to me, I have a lot of people write to me um, uh, through my little collective or myself or Nimbus, the recording school that I work for. And they say, what should I do? I'm trying to get into the music scene. And my first thing is to go to any open mic night I can find and then rabbit hole. So follow the rabbit of going to one open mic, find out, talk to those musicians, find out where they're playing next. Start going to all the different open mics you can find and then see where it leads you. And I I promise it will always lead you somewhere interesting uh, compared to if you try and kind of muscle your way in and stay with one clique, I would always say go to a whole bunch of places because you're, I found one of my favorite London open mic nights is um, Sessions 58 in London. It's in the little speakeasy um, in East London. And it was because I'd met someone who heard me at a, a, a really crappy little open mic in their own local uh, and they were like, you, you sound amazing. You'd be a great fit for this open mic. You should go there. And because of that, I then got opportunities to play in front of like BBC radio um, executives and, and The Voice and like all these other things just kind of popped up from going to an open mic and, uh, and being seen, showing up. Yeah, that's amazing. I think, yeah, that's, it makes a lot of sense, but I feel like again ego is almost one of these things that stops a lot of people from doing things like that yeah and fear obviously yeah Yeah. well that's with a lot of that fear-based decisions I've had a lot of struggles with fear over my life as I said with stage fright but with everything right like I was terribly afraid afraid of death um for the longest longest time and I think um my sister and I were talking my older sister and I were talking about it the other day where um uh wanting to control things is the most subtle form of um I, I guess a way of presenting your uh, you being a fearful person when you when you know, meet people generally 
who want to control the situation. And I'm 100% one of those people, or was, I should say, <laughs> moving out of that, thankfully. Mm. Um, it's based out of fear. And those things, they are uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me always to think, um, to think about what people might think of me. How does I mean, don't you feel like that? You must feel like that. And you're, you're, you're so, you do so many things yourself. Oh, yeah, You've got your difficult. fingers in so many different pies, right? But how do you deal with it? Um, I would argue I don't deal with it the best. <laughs> I definitely need to work on it more. Um, I'm trying to be a little bit less of a control freak. I think what I've been doing, I've been actively working on it a lot more in the last year, trying to put myself into con- like into um, positions that make me uncomfortable. This podcast is definitely a very good example of that. Right. Uh, how did the, how did the podcast make you feel? Like what what was it that got you to say, okay, actually, I'm going to take this step and do um, it. Kind of just not really thinking, I guess, about what it meant. So when talking um, with Dino when I started my co-op term, Mm -hmm. the idea was kind of just, you know, how, like, what kind of marketing activities do we want to do? Like, how can we kind of get, I guess, like, the name of Membran out there a little bit more and make some more connections? And I was like, oh, well, we've, like, we've got this podcast space. Like, maybe we had one that talked a lot about tech and blockchain. I knew nothing about either of those um, things. <laughs> I don't know a lot about music either, but I was like, at least I know I, I, I could listen. To, I do listen to music. And I was like, that's about it. Um, that's half of it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, we have this space. Like, we could start a music podcast. And Dean was like, okay, yeah, great. Um, so you'll do that then. And I was like, oh, Okay. <laughs> I guess wow. that's happening. Um, no so it just, yeah, so it just kind of happened. Um, and then, I mean, the first few interviews were with people that I knew. Um, they were like friends in Victoria. So mm-hmm. that was easy. So it was baby steps. Um, but I've, I'm enjoying it a lot more than I thought I would. I think just based on the whole fear aspect. Um, but yeah, that's definitely been a big one. Because I yeah. was, yeah, I've always, um, again, been very introverted and not necessarily afraid of like talking to people or anything um but working in customer service I think from such a young age like I got my first job in retail when I was 14 um and so I think doing that we talk about this in school a lot but this idea of like faking it until you not just like make it but become it Mm -hmm. basically I think I've almost like tricked myself into being like okay like I'm comfortable enough talking to people now um yeah, it's interesting. Like, I'm not afraid of talking to people. I enjoy talking to people. I hate small talk, so that's why I enjoy this podcast, I think, because you skip into mm. interesting questions. Yeah. Um, small talk Small talk really just confuses me. Yeah. I don't... <laughs> I don't know what to... I, don't, I just don't know what to do, and I feel like <laughs> I'm so bad at answering questions sometimes. Yeah. I'm just, I just horrible at participating in it as well, and I'm just like, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> then it becomes more awkward. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that actually answered your question, but basically yeah, how I've tried to be less of a control freak is basically just putting myself into as many situations as possible within reason that make yeah. me uncomfortable. And then at least at that point being like, okay, well, I never have to do this again if I don't want to. Right. But now I know for sure that I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things I was just going to say is take those, take this, take a small challenge and then celebrate the small victory. And then stretch yourself like what you're doing is, you know, is challenging you enough that it's stretching you, but you can celebrate the results of it. And then you move on to the next thing that stretches you. Then you celebrate the results of that. 
I think that's how you you break past, you know, those kind of pre-existing fears that you that that pushes you into a different level of operating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really good advice. Um, mm. In terms of being a control freak, we can talk about this later and how the <laughs> heck you're managing to work past that because I don't know. If I... Well, you're doing it. I mean, you're we're here right now. You're doing yeah, a podcast, so you won. Sort of. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Well, I mean, when this comes out, you will have won at that. Yeah. True. This this time. Yeah. Every other aspect of my life. Like, I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) I I believe in you. Thank you. Um, So you've been in Vancouver now for four years, you said? Yeah. Yeah. Four years. Yeah. So what brought you there? I came over my parents live here they live in Burnaby now they moved here 10 years ago and my mother's always had um she got her Canadian citizenship in the 60s um and gave up her other citizenships for it and so I've been Canadian since birth and I uh was feeling like I was banging my head against a brick wall in London um I had a development deal with music that wasn't going the way that I wanted to through you know no fault of anyone's it just it happens that's the industry sometimes um and I was feeling frustrated and I just thought you know I don't know that I can continue living my life as an almost artist and I remember going one day to um the equivalent of the Junos or the Grammys for for England it's called the Ivor Novello Awards and I was sitting opposite like the table opposite was Mumford and Sons and Emily Sandy's writer was like sitting next to me. And I've never felt so far away from being an artist than at that moment. And I think that really changed me. And I thought, you know what, I'm around all of these people who are doing what I want to do. And I've never felt so far away from them. Uh, So I thought, you know what, I'm going to go home uh, to, and I call home where my parents live because home for me is wherever my family are. Um, and so I came back for my annual Christmas trip and, uh, and I said, I'm going to see one agent, one or two. I'm going to see, had a friend put me in touch with a friend of his who knew some agencies over here. And I took one meeting with Principal's Talent, um, with Sarah, who is now my agent, um, and did my, I auditioned. We, you know, read, read some, some scripts and uh, had a chat and she said if you move over I will represent you for film and television and I said I'll see you in six weeks and I just made that decision and like like you just did I didn't think about it too much I went you know what that opportunity I put it out to the universe I knew I wasn't happy I knew something had to change I didn't know what it was going to be and I knew I loved film and television and I wasn't getting seen for film and tv in London at all my agent was trying and it's a big city and I wasn't what they were looking for. So I just went, I'm going to find a different door. And if that door opens, I'm going. So I packed up and I uh, recorded an, an EP, Mice. Um, uh, and uh, within six weeks, I had gone from being living in London and nothing being any different to the next day to leaving and, uh, and arriving in Vancouver. Wow, that's, that's amazing that you did that. And we're able to so quickly. Yeah, I've done it a couple of times. Um, and uh, I did it when I moved back to Hong Kong the second time. That was about a six week. I kind of just wiped myself from England and just took off. Um, otherwise known as running away. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I've done it a couple of times and actually you'd be surprised at how possible it is for you to pick up a life and move it in a very short space of time. It is not something I would recommend in terms of stress levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and it's, you know, it's scary. Um, but it, I just had to, I, I really didn't want to, I miss London so much. And it's not that I don't love Vancouver. Um, I do. It's afforded me so many opportunities, but, um, but it was, it was, I knew that I, my guts knew that I had to do it. I had to go. You said it's afforded you a lot of opportunities. So did you kind of get what you needed? Um, I mean, you're still in Vancouver, but did things Mm -hmm. go the way that you were hoping that they would go for you there? I didn't have the expectation. So yes, they, they went well because I didn't know what to expect from my agent. I knew that I trusted her as she is incredible. She was very much um, business minded. I'm not the type of actor who wants to be friends with my agent and, and she's not that kind of person either because it can be great for some people. But for me, I just, I just want to work. Um, and so I booked done quite a few commercials now gosh it must be maybe 10 or more now but um I've been very lucky to get seen to get in the room to have amazing casting directors um give me really great feedback and to just um you know book these little roles when you're not in the industry um yourself it doesn't look like much is happening so when people say oh you're an actor what have I seen you in um, that's not really an ac- accurate um, question to ask if you actually want to know if an, what an actor's doing for work um, and whether they're a success. And I think a successful actor is someone who's getting into a lot of rooms and doing good work in those casting rooms. And for me, my biggest problem in London was not getting into those rooms. And my agent here has worked with me to help me find ways um, with her reputation and suggesting um, casting workshops and training for me to do to get me into those bigger rooms. And I've, I've been going up for series regular roles and network television shows, which I just couldn't have dreamed of um, in London. And we'll be in a Netflix show coming out uh, next month. Really? That's amazing. Yeah. What, sh- what yeah. show are you allowed to say? Uh, yep, it's just announced. Uh, it's called Another Life. And it's a sci-fi, and I'm in one of the episodes, and I I get to I get to play a pretty um, pretty cool little role. It's oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it's very cool. I won't give away too much, but it's a really it looks like a great show. Oh, uh, definitely and I, check that out. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I think it 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 premieres on July 25th, the first episode. Um, so in London, you're mostly doing stage acting. You said before, right? That's you're doing a lot of theater. I did commercials as well. So I had an agent to do um, who got me auditions for like, you know, for theater and um, and for commercials. And because my because I have that ambiguous looking face, um, it was pretty good for certain commercials. So I got a couple of big commercials in London, which really helped me. And then I was in development for music. So I had, you know, kind of publishing deal and, um, and a producer who was really working to kind of develop me as an artist. Um, and I was doing still working in hospitality. I worked in client relations. I used my business degree every day and I used it for, um, to work in, in biz dev for um, hospitality based uh, 
companies uh, and then to places like the, the Kia Oval, the Surrey Cricket Ground um, and uh, Archer Street, which is a pop-up, a bar in Soho where you get pop-up, um, all the waitresses and waiters sing. Um, my best way of describing it was Coyote Ugly Meets Prada. It was like a really high-end, beautiful, luxurious place where nestled in the middle of the West End, which is, where, which is the theatre district in London. So all of the people who sang, you know, we were all basically theatre school graduates. So we'd sing every night and we'd get to just get up on, onto the tables and bust out into song. And it was, it was a riot. That's like a real life musical. It really was. And honestly, it was so like the people who would come in and sing, we'd get like, you know, um, what's her name? Brenda Edwards from We Will Rock You. She was like Killer Queen and We Will Rock You. And she would just come in and she was friends with the owner. So she'd come in and grab the microphone and be like, listen to this and just literally blow everyone out away. Um, and we'd get people who in between their shows, when they weren't in the West End doing a, a play or doing a, a, a theatre show, they'd come and do some work at Archer Street. So, you, you, I mean, the level was insanely high uh, of singing. It was incre- quite incredible. So in Vancouver, you're also quite involved on the business end of the music industry and the music community there. Um, and you work with Nimbus School and then also you're on the board of Music BC. Um, mm-hmm. Would you mind telling me a little bit more about what both of those organizations are, I guess, and yeah, what you do for each of them? Sure. So um, I'm, uh, I just joined the board of directors for Music BC uh, about uh, six, seven, eight months ago now. Um, and Music BC, it's a nonprofit, and uh, and they really look after um, artists from from all genres and industry professionals as well. So, um, if uh, they basically are champions for uh, people in the in the music music centric kind of creative industries and people who are um, either artists themselves or supporting those artists. Um, and they do that in with a, in a few ways. There's a lot of advocacy work that is. Um, not often seen by the members. Um, so like, you know, we've got the, the, the Amplify um, fund. There was a new renewal, wasn't there, for 7.5 million this year that just got um, announced. And, and Music BC, a lot of the people on the board will go out and advocate um, for uh, provincial funding. Um, they also have training and development through how-to series. So if you're not a Music BC member, I'd strongly encourage you to um, to join. Uh, they it's not expensive, and uh, it's basically subscribing yourself to a support system of people who truly believe in the whole picture of developing BC as as a as a hub for for music. Uh, so they do things like the How To series has panel discussions and seminars, and um, they bring people in from across, um, around the world, as well as local people. And then they've also got live music trade initiatives. So they have things like um, both uh, national and international showcasing opportunities. So things like Reeperbahn in Germany, they, they really advocate and, and set up um, artists from here to go over and perform at showcases over there, The Great Escape in the UK. Um, and, uh, and they also do touring grants which people don't know as much about, they, they, they do touring grants as well. So there's a lot of different, they've got their fingers in a lot of different pies. Um, 
and they work with um uh, you know creative bc does a lot of um funding based uh activity as well of course and factor so it can be a, when you're just starting in the music industry it's kind of difficult to always know who you need to go to for where for what and for what kind of funding and for what kind of support i would always direct people to music bc in the first instance because they have they're in such close communications with those other organizations i do strongly suggest that people uh, one of my biggest things is i when i applied to to join the board it was because i had been saying to students at nimbus which i'll tell you a little bit about shortly um but i applied to join the board because i had been saying to the students you know we are the change you are the change and we are the change because we can't rely on the generations above us to build the world that we want to live in it's up to us to do it so you need to stand up and you need to get involved and you need to be engaged because it's our future and i'm saying this to you because it's your future even more so get involved and 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 join these kind of organizations because high tides do raise all ships and you need to be a part of that um and then i turned around and went well and i realized that the music bc board of directors um had some some spaces opening and the next uh, annual general meeting was coming up so i could apply and i said well i can't just say it and not do it um and it's important for me to have enough and again it was I, it was fear it was stopping me because i thought what am i going to contribute these are you know the people on the board are very impressive um and they have very long standing careers and relationships locally that i don't um what am i going to give and i and i had to take a step back from my ego and say actually you're really good at a number of things um not from an it place of ego from a place of authenticity you know i do advocate um uh community building and i do advocate people being given honest and open and transparent information that helps them to be better people so i can give that and if i can give that then that's something so i may as well go for it how do you start working cuz that came that was very recently and then you were mm-hmm. before you were with the nimbus you're still with nimbus um mm-hmm. but kind of what do you do yeah with nimbus school so with nimbus school um uh, technically it's nimbus school of recording and media because we are not just music but we do do media as well um nimbus i did a songwriting workshop about 3 weeks after i arrived and it was a a, a four day workshop um put on by creative no sorry by music bc and socan um uh in it's sponsored by bell presented by bell media um and i f- walked into the school and i was like i want to be here i don't know what it is but the school has got some kind of energy that um has drawn me to to being here and uh and so i spoke to the ceo and i said you know i'd really like to work here and he said we don't have any jobs and i said okay i'll wait <laughs> and uh they didn't have a role for me uh and i went away and i started a, coll- a collective called indie van city and i just met with a bunch of people in the music industry whoever would have meetings with me and realized that i you know as an aside i i saw that there was so much talent here but i couldn't figure out why there were rungs of the ladder missing in terms of performance opportunities and venues and places to play so one thing led to another i started this collective and uh and the ceo mike schroder uh who's brilliant he he eventually said look we're going to hire you we've got this um 
community style role that we'll put you in um, to because we have so many incoming community inquiries. But it's also because I just don't want someone else to hire you <laughs> because oh, okay. you've done you've done so much to build the community in the three months that you've been here that I think that you'll be a valuable asset. And we do need someone to help with um, with community based um, inquiries. So I said, OK, well, I'll start with that. And it was 10 hours a week kind of contract. And within three weeks, I think I was on board as a um, as a, a, a part time employee. I'm still part time there. And uh, and my role quickly became community and business development. So now what I do is um, not only work with community, um, external communities. So uh, we have partners that we will put on fun things with, basically, in short. Um, but I also champion the students to help get them placements. Uh, so I help with resumes, covering letters. Um, I'll uh, go out and make... Uh, friends with industry and with potential employers um, and talk to them about what they need in order to hire Nimbus students and I'm really passionate about that side of what I do as well as the industry side of building those relationships and and figuring out um, how to uh, advocate for a stronger music economy overall and actually I have to give so much credit to Mike for doing that because that's that's what he's he's so passionate about is building the whole you know, the national music scene um, from from children to young adults and, and beyond um, because it's so important for us to have students go and graduate into an industry that's healthy. So it's, it's in our best interest to make sure that they have somewhere to go and that they can create value. And I think people changing the world through music is, is one of my favorite ways to see it done. That's amazing. Mm. That you've been able to make also that's the coolest getting a job story as well <laughs> yeah being patient and also you know and, and 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 I'm learning more and more knowing your worth and knowing when to kind of be strong enough to prove it you know because I had a lot of different things that uh, different transferable skills that often people won't bring up you know I see so many students and People who say, oh, well, I, have, I can't really apply for this job because I haven't done X, Y, Z. We're in a, a place in society now where the world is changing so quickly that job titles really aren't that relevant in a lot of ways. Um, it's about how well you're going to be able to explain that you can do a thing. It's about how well you're going to be able to pick up new things and learn. It's not really as relevant that you... Like, we don't need just accountants, just lawyers. They're not two-dimensional anymore. Careers are, are, are multi-dimensional things. They're growing, evolving creatures, you know. And that's a, that's a scary thing for, for the education system to try and equip our young people with. So knowing as you're going into the workforce, as, you know, any listeners who are going into a new profession, you know, a lot of the times people don't necessarily know what that job title is going to entail or what that role needs to become. We have to be trailblazers these days because we can't just keep running on the, on the wheel the, the way we have. It's not, we've got to, we've got to shift gears. hundred percent. What are some of the projects that you have coming up this year? You mentioned uh, the Netflix show, which will be out at the end of July. Um, but mm -hmm you know, new music and things like that. You've been kind of steadily releasing singles this year. Is there yeah. an album in the works? I have a concept for an album that I'll be working on. I've been, I'm 
actually this Sunday I'm going to do um, some more writing and recording with, with a, a friend of mine. Um, I'm interested to see what happens with film and TV and, you know, some fun commercials coming out soon that if you, if you end up catching me in them, that'll be quite funny. Um, but I'm also doing a, uh, I'm co-hosting an, uh, an info session for the artist development course for Nimbus. And it's one of the courses that I'm most passionate about. So on the 18th of July, we're having a, a, a kind of chat at our, um, our satellite campus on West 7th, uh, which is the historic home of the Little Mountain Sound Studios, which is an iconic venue in Vancouver. And so that's going to be open to the public. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and there will be Monster Cat Compound. I'm helping to advance um, and work with Music BC and, and Monster Cat on uh, an education panel. So anyone interested in that, that's, I would suggest if you want to know about those two things, um, and if you're interested in getting more involved in the community, I would highly recommend, you know, you can send me an email um, at christina at nimbusrecording.com, or you can go to the website nimbusrecording.com and sign up, um, contact us to get onto the mailing list, and it's going to be me that's writing to you and telling you about these things coming up. Um, but they're education panels with some really great people talking about the industry and how to get in and how to build your career, um, no matter what level you're at. I think those, those are really useful things for people. And shows, you can follow me on social media or sign up. I like people when people sign up to my mailing list because I send um, little book recommendations and share little wordy, nerdy things. Um, and you can find me at uh, christinalau.com and find all my socials from there and sign up to the mailing list if you want to. I don't know when I'm going to do my next show. I did one yesterday, but uh, I might do one in the fall. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Christina. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Today I, today I try to keep you but the sight of couples in the street looking down at their feet Thank you so much for listening to Off Key this week, and thanks again, Christina, for coming on to the podcast. I've linked to the show notes for this episode in the description, so make sure you check those out for some photos, links, and other media on the topics that we discussed during our interview, such as the upcoming Nimbus Artist Development course, as well as the Monster Cat Compound Education Panel. Once again, if you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. They really do help. And if you have any topics that you'd like me to bring up with one of our next guests, you can either email me at offkey at membran.net or send me a message at either Membran Labs or Lingsa Arnold on Instagram. Offkey and Fault Tolerant, our sibling podcast on tech and blockchain, are both produced by Membran Entertainment Canada, aka Membran Labs, a music services company that provides distribution services for the export of Canadian music. We're also exploring blockchain technology to create a more transparent and secure ecosystem for music rights owners to get paid. If you're interested in recording your own podcast at Membrane Labs, you can find out more info on our website, www.membranelabs.com. That is it for this week. In the episode's intro and throughout the outro, you've been listening to Paper Boats by Christina Lau, and I'll be playing you out with her song, Paint Us Beautiful. I will see you again next Monday, where I'll be talking to Colin McTaggart of the Western Canadian Artist Management Company and record label Amelia Artists. Thanks again for listening.